0: This is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Your war room for insider news and draft analysis from deep within the confines of Cowboys headquarters at the Star and Frisco. The Dallas
1: Cowboys select TD
0: Lamb. And now, your hosts, Brian Broadis, David Hellman, Bucky Brooks, and Kyle Yeomans.
2: It is the DallasCowboys.com draft show as we are live from inside the star in Frisco. A little bit of technical difficulties to get us started today as we are not necessarily live and in person like we have been over the last couple of weeks, unfortunately. But, well, we've got the same cast and characters that we have seen all year long here on the draft show Kyle Yeomans alongside. Brian brought us. We've got David Hellman coming in just a couple of moments, and Bucky Brooks as well should be here shortly. But, Brian, we'll start with you since, well, you're the only one here live and ready to go. But first off, what are your just general thoughts after having a couple of nights to look back on what was the 2021 draft?
3: No, no, it was was a very interesting draft from overall. And I think what you do in your evaluating drafts is to see – how teams address what they needed to accomplish. And I I think when the team that we cover the most is the Dallas Cowboys. And so when you you look at what they were able to do, how were they able to fix their defense? And that's what I think they went out and did. Not only addressing in the offseason, going to get a new defensive coordinator, but adding some key pieces. You know, Micah Parsons, Kelvin Joseph, those are good starts to what I thought was a good draft for the uh, the Cowboys. As you go through the entire draft, there were players that I was targeting that I really liked that they were able to get. So that was a, and
2: good for them. So, Dave, I believe you are back on with us now. So, Hellman, I asked, brought us this question a couple moments ago, but what is, what was your general thought whenever it came to the 2021 draft and specifically the Cowboys class?
1: Yeah, I think I said it before we were done on um, Saturday afternoon is I think this is the most boomer bust potential draft that I can remember covering. And what I mean by that is, you know, Micah Parsons is a super talented guy, but uh, I think he's a a raw prospect, a guy, you know, he opted out of 2020. He's a young player. I don't want to say he's a guy without a position but he's a guy that you've got to have a plan for how to use you know are you going to use him to rush the passer how good is he in coverage you know if all he does is stop the run which i get it that's important but if that's all he does are you getting the most out of a number 12 overall pick or can you find ways to get him to the quarterback and affect the passing game kelvin joseph fantastic player but we covered it during the draft. Um, you know not not a bad guy, not a bad person, but somebody that that you know left his first program and, and had problems at the other. I think a guy that probably you would say maybe has maturity issues. So your first two picks right there, like the guys that you're counting on the most, fantastically talented players, but I you know I think you better you better have a plan for how to use them and you better have a plan for how to help them succeed. Um, and then obviously, as we all remember Friday, Can't say they were bad picks yet, but surprising picks. Uh, I just think picks that, you know, there were guys that we liked more on the board. The consensus is that maybe the Cowboys liked those guys a lot more than other people did. Again, doesn't mean they'll be bad players, but it does create some intrigue one, two, three years down the line when you see what those guys become. So if the Cowboys hit on all this stuff, then they're going to look really, really smart. And if they don't, it's going to look really, really bad, um, considering some of the other options that I think they had over the course of the draft. Brian, when
2: I think Dave made a fantastic point there, talking about kind of the early picks that are supposed to be the cornerstones of your draft class—those first, those second-round picks, even sometimes into the third—but I think with three third-round picks, you have a little bit of leeway there. However, I mean, with Micah Parsons and with Kelvin Joseph, there are some question marks. There are some concerns leading into who they are on the field. Because on the field, they might be top 20 talents. And the film might be top 20 worthy. But why is that such a big question mark over both of these picks? And how do you balance that from a scout standpoint in entering the draft and then post-draft?
3: Yeah, you know when you, especially when you're picking, you know, high in the first round like they were with Parsons, uh, you know, you, you just want the cleanest prospect. You don't want the guy that has any off the field concerns. You don't want medical concerns. You just want the cleanest player and the best player. And you know that that's the thing that that's the thing that might be a little troubling uh, to folks out there is that when you start to hear. You know about zoom meetings and lack of medical information and face-to-face meetings and things like that you kind of wonder where were all the were all the t's crossed and where all the i's dotted uh because you know when you don't have 30 visits when you don't have the opportunity to go have private workouts or sit to have dinner with these guys you know, you can't really get to know these kids. And, you know, Parsons and, and Joseph and those guys, the, you know, they had to answer questions. Okay, why this? Why that? Why did this happen? Why were you in this situation? And that's what this pandemic has brought. It, it's brought a lot of holes to the drafting process. You know, and, and that's hard for scouts because what happens is we're a face-to-face group. We're a face-to-face, sit across from a kid and ask him those tough questions and see how his reaction is. And, you know, I don't know if you could always get that through the Zoom meetings and things like that. So, yeah, it's a little bit more of a deviation from what we've seen because during the Jason Garrett administration, you know, we saw like, oh, the right kind of guy. And I'm not saying that Parsons or Joseph could not be the right kind of guy because, Garrett and they took some questionable guys too, but just not to the extent of what the, the Cowboys did in this past draft.
2: Dave, is this a direct reflection on a couple of things? One, the the change of the coaching staff, like Brian just alluded to. Two, COVID-19 and maybe the lack of information on these players, or is it three just basically desperation to try and fix that defense with the kind of players with that edge, with that attitude coming in and, and being sold on those type of guys whenever the draft process finally came around?
1: I think that's one of those things where it's like the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Like, if you're not a fan of what they did, then you would probably call it desperation if you are a fan of what they did. And for that, you know, for I think most of us, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think a lot of us might have taken Rashawn Slater at 12 overall. Um, But for everybody that isn't in love with the pick, there are a lot of people that absolutely love this pick. And if you do, if you love what they did... Then I think you would say determination, determination to fix the defense, right? It's like mm-hmm. that's that's what we need to do. And I absolutely I believe them when they say that Parsons was their highest graded defender. I still think they would have taken a cornerback above him, and I think that would have been smart. um which and it's it's funny to think how the how it all shakes out. So like you don't get your cornerback at ten, you take Parsons at twelve. And then you get Kelvin Joseph at 44, I'm sure they had a really high grade on him. Was he their highest grade remaining, or was he the best guy at the position that they needed the most? Only they are the ones that know the answer to that. And thats I guess that's my point is, are you desperate or are you just determined, like, we've absolutely got to get better? And on on some level, I admire what they did, because I think I was one of the ones saying the whole time leading into the draft, like, Oh, you know, nobody just drafts all defense. Like, it always balances out at some point or another. And I know they drafted three offensive players, but the first six were all defense. So probably not all those guys are going to work out, but even if half of them do, you've taken steps toward rebuilding that thing. So uh, in light of that, I I see their strategy, and I can appreciate it. Like, they are not going to let this, or they're going to try not to let this defense handicap them again the way it did last year.
2: Brian, uh, is it determination? Is it desperation? What do you believe on on that side of the ball?
3: I think they graded the players and picked the players how they saw. Excuse me. I think they picked the players how they graded the players. Hmm. You know, in digging into what they did uh, grade-wise of the draft, they're the majority of their draft, especially on the defensive side of the ball, had a grade of, of a fourth-round grade or better on their board. So as you start to get back in, go further back in the draft, those are the things that you hope for when you set up your board, that you're taking players, say you're taking players in the third round that you might have a second-round grade on. You're taking a player in the fourth round, you have a third-round grade on. So. I my 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 gut feeling is that they were probably surprised that several of their players were on their board at that time. The one that's interesting to me is the right pick, mm-hmm. and you know that was one of those where I'm I'm hearing that they had a third round grade on him going into the draft. If that's the case, well then they they got the player where they put him on the board. Uh, so. You know that that's all you can ask you know time will tell whether they're right or whether guys like myself the David brooks of the world David Hellmans KT you know Jeff Cavanaugh guys that study this you know we could be really wrong about that too so I feel like though is it's just kind of digging in a little bit they they were taking players around a or so higher than what was on their board and you know that
1: that'll be the that'll be the tail of the tape for him here in the next three four years i think i really appreciated oh sorry just just to go off of that i appreciated jerry jones's honesty on saturday night he kind of he acknowledged that of saying like yeah you know i saw you know people saying we reached on right but then jabril cox fell to us in the fourth round and i guess his his ideas that it all kind of averages out, and to some degree, as long as as long as you're not completely lying about your grades, which they were not, like uh, you know, I think they had a cluster of similar grades, and you sit there and you think like you know, all of us draft geeks want you to be as true to the board as possible. But if you draft Micah Parsons 12th overall, you really you know take a big swing at the linebacker position, and then you're sitting there with a cluster of picks on day two. As long as you like the grades on those guys, I get waiting on Jabril Cox. You know, you're like, okay, well, we've got a starting caliber linebacker in the bag already. Let's beef up this line. Let's take this cornerback that we really feel strongly about. And then Cox falls to him, and it all works out to where they get I think Jerry Jones said they got four of the six guys that they really, you know, had their eyes on during that run of picks, which I can't argue with that. Like I said, as long as they're not fudging their grades, which I don't think they were. It just so happens, and I know it's not, I don't think they were, I know they weren't. um, It just so happens that they feel a lot more strongly about some of these guys than a lot of other people do. And uh, that's what's going to make it fun is getting to find out who was right.
3: Well what they what, what we what you don't need to find out is where they jump in tags. You know, and yeah old old crusties like me, you know, I, I believe in you set your board, you stack your board to how you would take those players. And you know, maybe there's some things that you have to manipulate along the way of your board, but if if in fact that Cox was one of their highest rated guys and then they took right over him, you know. I mean, okay, that's jumping tags. And so, you know, but they got fortunate that they got Cox, you know, when they did. So maybe that tells me that they had Cox rated wrong. You
1: know, so I, I, but I don't know. you that, that's sorry, don't you don't you think what you do previously in a draft has some sort of impact on that? Like having if you draft Rashawn Slater. Maybe you make Cox the first pick among those day two picks or the second pick. Maybe you draft Cox right. at 75 if you draft yeah. Rashawn Slater. But having Micah Parsons already as part of your draft class probably influences your opinion about when you need to take Jabril Cox, don't you think?
3: Yeah, I, I think to me with the thing with Jabril Cox, though, I mean, you had to go in, if 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 Parsons is your sixth best player on your board, and you get down to it, and say you have a second round grade on Cox, you know, and you're sitting there, and you end up getting him in the, you know, the fourth round. Yeah, I, I think that's one of those times where the tag's just blinking at you, like we've got to take this. Guy. You know, we got a second round grade on him, so let's let's go. And so I, I don't. To me, I, I just, I just don't. The, the problems I have and. I think the Cowboys did right. I mean, there's several. The, the Golston pick, I understand that. Odigie Zawah, I get that. You know, heck, the Bohannon pick, I think is gonna great. Uh, the the wide receiver from Stanford, I love their picks. The process sometimes drives me a little nuts about <laughs> how they set things up, and you know, sometimes they fall into some things that you're like, going, wow, they, they got the draft gods were smiling on them today because of where they had particular players. So uh, I'm not going to call it chaos, but I'm going to call it, you know, how do you set things up and then have it fall the way it does? And, you know, maybe they take themselves out of some players that they probably could have got. But overall, it's the it's the results that matter and not the process.
1: Maybe I'm making too much of a big deal of the process with this team. Hey, you got to no, love I, the process. I agree with you, though. I like. I think this team. I think this for the for the majority of the time I've covered them. I think the Cowboys kind of tweak things as they go uh, to make it to make it work the way they want it to. Like Odigizua and Golston are a great example again of like maybe there were higher graded players available, but they were like, all right, but like I would love to have some beef on the defensive line, and so you tweak it and say. Let's just take these guys and worry about it later. And that's what made... I'm actually... I'll be publishing a story about this later today. I encourage you to read it. But that's what made last year so different is it really didn't feel like they did that at all. Like, it really mm-hmm. felt like they were really just drafting the best possible player. And and who knows? Maybe that's wrong. Like, we don't know all of their grades for last year either. But that's certainly what it felt like. And I think that's just... That's an outlier. And I think the vast majority of the time when the Cowboys are in their war room, I think they kind of tweak things based on what they feel like needs to happen.
2: It sounded like, and you had said this previously on one of the shows that we had been on, but it's kind of like false hope, at least from 2020 to 2021, but like you said, if they're not fudging grades, then it's the same kind of thing. It's it's exactly going down the board, drafting these guys where they were. The biggest surprise was 99 and Na'Shon Wright. In the Oregon State corner, that just kind of came out of nowhere. And like Brian said, it, it's rumored that the Cowboys had a third-round grade on them. When we come back... Here on the Draft Show, we're going to hit some Twitter on the 20 questions, including one that has to do with Nashawn Wright and what he brings and what Brian thinks about him now that he's probably gotten a chance to watch him. We'll talk about that and many more of those 11 picks that the Cowboys made when we return here on the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show.
4: Something happens when we can't be our true selves. You can hear it in our laughs. There's the half-hearted chuckle. (laughs) Oh. the courtesy conference caller <laughs> yeah great and of course the I'm only laughing because I'm dating your daughter <laughs> oh that's so true if you want to laugh for real try having some Miller Lite with some friends <laughs> it works it's Miller time wow. Celebrate responsibly. 2021 Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Beer. Before there was a
0: draft, you could size up a cowboy by three simple factors. The crease in his hat, the bend of his brim, and his unbending attitude. A man Stetson didn't just protect him from what life threw at him. It projected a rugged, unstoppable spirit. Stetson hats are still American-made with pride right here in Texas. They're still the unofficial crown of all self-respecting cowboys. And Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Find a retailer nearest you at stetson.com slash cowboys. This is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show.
2: Dallas Cowboys football and Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders dance youth camps are back this summer for athletes and dancers of all skill levels. Save $25 with early bird pricing from now until May 10th. Register today at DallasCowboys.com slash Academy. Welcome back in to the draft show presented by Miller Lite, Kyle Yeomans, Brian Broaddus, David Hellman, soon to be have... Uh, having Bucky Brooks join the crew. He's doing some NFL network duties early this morning. We will have a Thursday show as well with Jeff Kavanaugh, Kevin KT Turner, and Dane Brugler to wrap things up officially for the 2021 edition of the draft show. Once again, special thanks for all those who have stuck with us from all the way in December all the way up until last week's draft and then the week after that. So it's time now to answer some of those fan questions with some Twitter on the twenty. Twitter. Twitter on the 20. Chris Beam absolutely killing it in the back, and he did it all weekend long throughout the draft coverage here on DallasCowboys.com. Okay, first one has to do with Nishan Wright, I'm going to send this one directly at Broadus. Now that we've gotten a chance to kind of see who he is, Cowboys, Cowboys Coffee Talk says, is there a possibility That he was drafted simply as a situational defender to match up against bigger targets, one-on-one, in the red zone, and then also to play a little bit of special teams. So, ultimately, a third-round pick, 99 overall for a situational defender. Is that exactly what the case was with Nashawn Wright, and what do you think about him now that you've gotten to see him?
3: Yeah, I I, you know, I like the idea. That's some really deep thinking. But I, I think they drafted him to play legitimate corner. And what I'm learning more about Dan Quinn and how they're looking at these players is the taller the player for Dan, the better the player for Dan. And what he wants to do is, and I've learned this, this is, a, an, I think, a very interesting take, that Taller guys create smaller windows for quarterbacks to throw the ball. If you're a quarterback and you go out there and a guy's playing off the hip of, of, of a receiver and running with, quarterbacks don't see that throwing area. They don't see that window to fit that ball because what they see is defender. And so if you get a guy that has the ability to stay in position, whether that's, you know, I'm not talking about full separation, but you stay in trail position and then are able to create that barrier between the receiver and the quarterback, then that makes a quarterback maybe not want to throw the ball that direction because he doesn't see that window. And then if he does make that throw, then you have the situation where you have the length to knock the ball away or to defend the pass. I think the reason why they, they, they drafted right was for that reason. I think it's you know he's a he's a good press corner. He really really is. And when you watch him get up on defenders, uh, you could see that. You could see. And for 187 pounds, he's got some surprising upper body strength to make that happen. He could stay on guys and he could f- keep the guy at the line of scrimmage and frustrate that that receiver from getting into his route. Again, you make that that quarterback have to hold that ball. A split second longer then maybe your rush gets home. So, you know the cornerbacks like the Melifonwus. I liked Melifonwu a lot. You know, I, I really liked. Uh, I like Thomas from Michigan a lot. I, I had this kid. I didn't see him as a third round player. I can't put him above those guys. You know, I may be wrong about that. I'll be happy to admit I am. But there were three cornerbacks, and I'm not including Molden in that deal because I think Molden would have been a totally – you're going to use Molden a different way. But those corners that went after him, I was more on board with overall. But I can understand now why they would go after Wright just because of the thinking of maybe being a guy that's going to create window problems for quarterbacks in this draft.
1: Okay i'm I'm just fascinated and you know i I watched I think I watched an hour of his tape um on Saturday morning after he was picked. I definitely you know I, th- I said it on the broadcast like I like his movement ability. He looks surprisingly fluid for a guy who's that big. I like his willingness to get in the mix. He's a chippy, like willing tackler. His short area like when he you know if if he's in open space against a smaller, you know shiftier player. I think he's going to be in trouble, but I do think there's stuff there to like. Um, I'm just—it's going to be fascinating. Obviously, we won't know for a year or or two years or three years just how correct they were or wrong. But you know, we'll be able to make some sort of judgment as early as this training camp because I mean, in my opinion, I know you know he's he's not going to start. Nobody should be expecting him to start, even if even if he did have a true third round grade from everybody. But like. If you're a top 100 pick i expect you to contribute you know i mean and and history indicates that that is a reasonable expectation so you know it was only last year reggie robinson was a fourth round pick and and couldn't couldn't get active let alone on the field so uh, i'm very curious to see just how much this guy can contribute early because if if he's really you know if he's as good as they think he is they should be able to find a way to use him as a rookie in my opinion And uh, you know, maybe if if he needs some more seasoning, that won't be the case. But it'll it'll be interesting to see how quickly he can hit the ground running. Kind of staying with
2: that same topic and that same theme, Dave. I'll, I'll turn this question to you, a caller actually. One of our listeners called in, and unfortunately, we're virtual. We can't take phone calls. So we took his question, though, and Eli said, who are some of the draft picks that are going to replace specific players and who are they going to replace on this roster or move into those spots that have vacated? So out of the draft class, Dave, who are some of the guys that are going to have some competition that are currently on this
1: roster? Well, if you've listened to Stephen Jones talk at all in the last two weeks, he is he is dying to fire <laughs> some people, and I, that sounds that sounds mean. But like the Cowboys are hard up against the cap in 2021. Like by the time they pay all these rookie salaries, they'll be right up on the cap. And you know Stephen Jones talked about you know maybe being able to trade guys at training camp. Like if if this class is as successful as they want it to be early, I think you could see. A lot of intense competition for veteran jobs. I, you know, I, I pulled up the depth chart. Okay, obvi- I mean, if Micah Parsons is the 12th overall pick, they better be able to find a way to get him on the field a lot. So that's either playing with more linebackers or finding an excuse to take a veteran linebacker off the field, maybe using Micah as like a Sam DPR in addition to off-ball linebacker stuff. I absolutely expect Kelvin Joseph to push for a starting job, whether that's, you know, I would imagine that's at the expense of Anthony Brown. But, you know, what I think it would be a mistake to just completely write Anthony Brown off, like never discount the ability of a five, six year NFL veteran. So that's going to be interesting. Um, what, uh, you know, obviously the defensive line again, like is Odigizua good enough to take a starting job away? Probably not. Is uh, Quentin Bohana good enough to take? A starting job away from the likes of like maybe Antoine Woods or Brent Urban, probably not. But I expect all of those guys to push to be in the rotation. Stephen Jones said uh, he said yesterday on one hundred five three with uh, Jeff and Brian that it's a stretch, but he thinks it's possible that all eleven draft picks make the team. Hmm. Uh, I don't think I don't think I believe that, but just do the math. They spent. Seven picks on – they spent seven picks in the first through fourth round. They have not cut a first through fourth round (coughs) rookie in the almost decade that I've covered the team. So that's seven rookies right there that are damn near guaranteed to make it. And then you've got another four. So even if only, like, one or two of those four make it, you're talking about, like, eight, nine guys making the team as draft picks. And they'll absolutely push for – maybe not starting jobs, but, again, like – a guy like Bradley and I is a great example. We all love Bradley and I. They got great value on him, but like, he's a fifth-round pick. At the end of the day, there's nothing keeping him on the team if somebody mm-hmm. outplays him. So that's that's the type of stuff you got to watch, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, I think you also. I think Dave did a great job of going through the guys. Also, watch uh, Simi. Fahuco at uh, at wide receiver. Oh yeah, you've got you've got expensive guys like Noah Brown. Yep. You know that that's an expensive guy for you right there. And all of a sudden, if you could get a guy to play special teams in the role of no uh, in the role of Noah Brown, then you take his salary you know right off the book off the books. I'll be interested to see what happens to at the defensive tackle spot as well. Uh, will Bohana be better than Woods? You know, again, that's one of the keep bringing Woods back. And in that situation, I, you know, he might be something that, that turns into a, a, a swap out there. Dave mentioned odigi Zawa. I mean, Hill is young. Gallimore is young at that under tackle, though. Could he replace one of those guys? Mm-hmm. I mean, those the, that was a second-round pick. That was a third-round pick. But, you know, we'll see. Let's see what happens with Josh Ball. Usually offensive That's, tackles yeah. need to usually offensive tackles need to come in and learn how to hold trip and clip before they're really any good. But could he come in and could he be better than a Brandon Knight who they might shift to guard? You know, could you know could he be, you know, there there's just all kinds of things I think with the you know with offensive tackle uh The you know, they brought him in. It might be, hey, we don't need a veteran guy. This guy will be our swing tackle. Maybe Connor Williams gets beat out at 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 guard. Maybe you move on from him. So there are a lot of things. There's a lot of ways they can tweak this roster with the players that they got.
1: I don't. I don't say this to be glib. Like I'm not. I'm not trying to make light of it because this is guys' livelihoods and careers and stuff like that. But. I think the Cowboys would be absolutely thrilled to shed some expensive veteran. Like Brian brought up Noah Brown, Cedric Wilson, Antoine Woods are probably in that boat. Ty Like If any of these guys prove, if you prove to the front office that you can do just as good of a job for $600,000 as opposed to the seven-figure salary that the veteran in front of you is making... That helps. I mean, especially for a team that is clearly very worried about the cap. I think that's what you need to have their eye on throughout, um, throughout the summer, uh, um, like mini camp, training camp, all that stuff worried enough to make all 11
2: picks and they did just that whenever the draft came around last weekend. Okay, so this question comes from Luke Wells. He wants to play a game of bust or broken and we saw yesterday Leighton Van Der Esch not necessarily or, or excuse me, the Cowboys declining his fifth year option. He falls into the broken category just based off of injury issues that he's had in the past, but he wants you guys to place Jalen Smith into one of those two categories. Is he just a straight bust or is he still technically broken? From some of the injury issues he's had in the past, and it could he be one of those guys that has to has his back against the wall with some of these draft picks coming in, Brian?
3: Yeah, I think to me that I wouldn't be throwing dirt on Leighton Vanderesh quite yet mm-hmm. myself, because I believe they're going to try and get an extension with him. Uh, now, whether you agree with it or not. Uh, you know, we'll see. They obviously feel like that they, you know, they don't want to pick up the option. Maybe they can make it a, a situation where it's like, hey, we can get a couple more years. We could structure it differently. We don't want to pay the full $9 million for that. So I think that they're trying to be proactive there. I think the thing with Jalen Smith, though, is a, Dan Quinn's probably come in and said, listen, there's certain things that I can do with him and there's things I can't do with him. I can't put him in coverage and feel really, really good about it. I've got this new rookie that I know can rush the passer. He's got the mobility, the change of direction, stuff like that. So I think that would be one that when we get to after 2022, I don't see that happening for him. I, I don't see uh, Jalen Smith being on this team. So I, I feel like Vander will be here. I have a feeling, though, that Jalen Smith won't be here. That would be my... Uh, that would be bust for me.
1: See, maybe I'm maybe I'm just a softy. Like, I mean, if you've listened to my work at all, you should know exactly how I feel about Jalen Smith's situation. I think his contract is one of the two or three biggest problems facing this team right now. There's no doubt that he has not played up to it. I have a hard time calling him a bust. Um, you know, a guy that we weren't even sure was ever going to play football again when he was drafted. Mm. Thirty fourth overall, not a, not even a first round pick, and they've gotten they've gotten five hundred tackles out of the guy, fifty four starts, sixty four games. Uh, he he was a, a good player during a playoff run in twenty eighteen. That was probably not probably that was easily the best season of his career. Um, so bust bust feels harsh. So I'm gonna go with broken. The problem is I I'm not convinced that what's broken can be fixed, um, and that's gonna be that's gonna be on Dan Quinn again a lot like Micah Parsons you got I think you gotta find a way to use him that's different and more efficient than what we what we've seen the last two years and I'm I'm with Brian a hundred percent if Dan Quinn can't get significantly more out of him this year I'm not sure how much longer he'll be here because it starts it starts to become a lot easier to, to shed that contract in 2022. So yeah. that's one of the biggest storylines facing this team. Having said all of that, I can't call the guy a bust. I mean, well, you're it, right. the, the bust, Cowboys it, bu- have gotten bu- a lot out of him.
3: Yeah, bust is a strong word, but in the context of the game, broken means you're going to bring him back. Bust, to me, means you're moving on from him. I'm not mm-hmm. saying he's a bad yeah. player. No, I'm I hear just, you. In the context of the exercise, broken means you have hope that he'll be back in whenever. Yeah. Bust means they, they're moving on. Yeah. I, 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 you're right. I never thought this kid would ever play another down of football after what happened. To him, to Britt Brown, to Dr. Cooper, to everybody that worked on getting him back on the field, tip of the cap. But in far, as far as if you look at what's going on right now, he, they're likely going to move on from him. That I'm calling yeah. the bust factor, not the player. I bust is where where the direction they're going with that.
1: If I had to bet, if I had to bet right now in May of 2021, who's more likely to be here for the 2022 season? I would say Leighton. So I agree yeah. with you. Very well said on
2: both of y'all's parts. Okay, so this is a a duo question, a double question. So Ernie originally asked, is Kelvin Joseph now the best corner automatically on this roster? Where does he compare to Trayvon Diggs? And then Mr. Vallejos adds on to that and said, could we view Kelvin Joseph as a Marcus Peters in the same sense of the -the off-the-field issues in college, but he sure does have the talent on the field, Brian?
3: Yeah, I wouldn't say if... I'm trying to think about because I had a pretty high grade on Diggs coming out of college last year and I know the Cowboys uh, felt, probably felt the same way. If it got down to where they got wiped out at, at 17 with their, no players on the board, I think they would have taken Diggs in the first round. I, I, Dave, you can correct me if I'm wrong there. But um, I, I would I, I still think that Diggs is likely your best corner. The guy that has Seriously, the, the talent, though, is Joseph. He, he, can, he can come in and immediately give you a huge upgrade over the other guys. But I think right now, as we talk, Diggs is above him with the opportunity of, of Joseph, say, either equaling him or surpassing him. You, you hope he surpasses, and you hope that Diggs also elevates his game as well. But I'll give it to Diggs right now.
1: Yeah, unless you're unless you're like a top 10 pick, I'm not in the business of saying you're the best on your team before you even get on the field at rookie camp. I mean, we loved the Diggs pick and Diggs had a good rookie season and he got picked on a lot because the NFL is hard and playing cornerback is even harder. It's one of the two or three hardest positions in the league for my money. So, no, I don't think he's the best. He might be the most naturally talented but they've got to harness that and turn it into production. Uh, I said this on the broadcast too I think I think it's important I get I get where you're going with the Marcus Peters thing. I do think he's aggressive he's got ball skills like Marcus Peters. he kind of seems like a little bit of a little bit of a knucklehead. I bet a lot of people have seen the clip of him of going around of him just decking that Auburn receiver during the Auburn game so there's there's some stuff you got to work on there but like Marcus Peters, Got, like, banned from Washington. Like, Chris Peterson had to invite him back to pro day uh, because the relationship was so sour. Like I said... He he choked a coach.
3: Yeah. Peters choked a coach. That's what he did.
1: I was going to say punched. I couldn't remember. It's been five or six years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Like I said, like, Kelvin Joseph seems like he's a little bit of a knucklehead, maybe some maturity problems. I haven't heard anything about that, like about him just being that guy you know like I said like I talked to people at LSU who had nothing but good things to say about him as a person it seems like you know he didn't burn any bridges on his way out of Baton Rouge I don't know the situation at Kentucky quite as well as I do at LSU for obvious reasons but I don't get the impression that he's a bad guy I just think maybe he's an immature guy so we'll see how the Cowboys deal with that this guy this guy's
3: played in 20 games in his career That's all he's played. I mean, he's a super talented guy for 20 games, but be careful with with going the route you're going
2: right now. Yeah yeah no doubt about it I mean you got to kind of balance those issues and the Cowboys did their homework in balancing both of those before they made the selection so I I mean at this point they know more than we do about what the kind of player they were drafting is going to be coming into training training camp and hopefully all these guys are are ready to go whenever that time comes around thanks again for all your Twitter on the 20 questions oh go for it Brian
3: Yeah, I mean, let me tell you this. The fact that the head coach and the defensive coordinator both were at the pro day, Mm -hmm. that's probably the reason why that kid got drafted.
2: And maybe even Bohanna later on. They caught an eye, and and Bohanna even talked yes. about talking with Dan Quinn. So that's you're exactly right. right. There's a lot of smoke screen, or excuse me, a lot of smoke to that fire of sh- seeing exactly how much they really were targeting uh, Kelvin Joseph, and just how much they were trying to get to know him prior to the selection. Because if not, then not neither neither one of those guys would have been in Lexington for that pro day. But Like I was saying a moment ago, uh, thanks again for everybody sending in those Twitter on the 20 questions. When we come back, we're going to take a couple final looks at this draft, maybe even talk about some of these undrafted free agents when we return here on the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. At Smoothie King, we are blending goodness
3: to fuel your greatness. Every blend is crafted to help you achieve your health and fitness goals. Smoothie King uses only whole fruits and organic veggies. You'll never find sugary syrups or artificial flavors, colors, or preservatives. And unlike some other smoothie places, there are zero grams of added sugar in many of our blends. Smoothie King is proud to be the official smoothie of the Dallas Cowboys. Place your order in the app or online for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King rule the day.
4: There are many ways to say Miller Lite has more taste and only one more calorie than Michelob Ultra. You could say it with your show choir buddies that you're. High school reunion. Miller Linus more taste in the water gallery
0: than make a low ball chart.
4: Whatever you say it, it's Miller time. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. 2021 Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Beer for 12 full ounces. Miller Lite, 96 calories, 3.2 cars, Michelob Ultra, 95 calories, 2.6 cards. Taste test performed by Institute for Perception, February 2018.
0: RV shoppers, you're invited to the DFW RV Party. Presented by Funtown RV. May 20th through May 23rd. Live music, free parking, free admission, and hundreds of RVs. Come party with Funtown, Rowdy, the Cowboy Cheerleaders. To crank this party up a notch, we're offering huge discounts on RVs from top brands on like Forest River, Heartland, and more. Plus, you'll find amazing door prices like stadium tours, camping grills, and the first thousand kids each day get a free fishing pole. It's all happening heavy- May 20th through May 23rd inside AT&T Stadium Home of the Dallas Cowboys The DFW RV Party presented by Funtown RV Visit DFWRVParty.com for details New Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar You deserve it I do deserve that You deserve decadent flavor without sugar And a day at the beach without sand getting everywhere And a relaxing bath that your children don't interrupt. I deserve all that? It's really just a visual metaphor for Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. Everything you want, nothing you don't. A visual metaphor on the radio. I do deserve that. Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. The zero you deserve is finally here. This is the DallasCowboys.com draft show.
2: Cowboys Nation. Of course, the draft season has come and gone, and that means there are still new era draft caps available. You can wear the same headwear that you saw the 2021 draft class wear. Just head to the Pro Shop, your official store of the Dallas Cowboys and Cowboys Nation, and get the 2021 new era draft cap. They are pretty sharp, to say the least. Visit your local Dallas Cowboys Pro Shop or shop online at shop.dallascowboys.com. Final segment here of the draft show, Tuesday edition with Brian Broaddus and David Hellman. It's been a ton of fun talking with you guys all the way since December. It is bittersweet to see this come to an end, and I'm excited for next year, but one final segment about 17 minutes left and plenty of questions to hit. Of course, the Cowboys did draft, or excuse me, not draft. They signed 13 undrafted free agents to go along with the 11 draft picks that they had. We won't go specifically into those players at the moment. We'll, of course, have plenty of content. I'll be writing up some profiles and things of the sort on the website over the next couple of days. But, Dave, anything stick out to you in the fact that they've signed 13 different players and
1: even just maybe what came out of that class overall? To be honest with you, I'm shocked that they had room for 13 undrafted free agents after drafting 11 players. <laughs> like, and not, I don't. And as far as I know, the league doesn't even the league hasn't set the roster limit yet. So it could be 80, it could be 90. So if it's at 80, I would guess they probably got some work to do. But um, the big thing that stood out to me was probably the receivers. Uh, A, you know. We've, we fall in love with an undrafted receiver every freaking year. It was Andy Jones for a while. It was Eric Rogers for a while. Uh, Lance was, Lenore. Uh, mm-hmm. Lance Lenore. Kyle's guy, Jalen Guyton a couple Woo! years ago. Uh, John, John Vay Johnson. Like Every year there's a receiver that we freak out about. And this year it's definitely going to be uh, TJ Vasher out of Texas Tech. I already see his highlights going around Twitter. He's a Big body guy, I get it. He's capable of making some crazy catches. Um, but again, going back to the conversation about Noah Brown and Cedric Wilson, they drafted Simi on on Saturday, and then they signed four more. So that they're they're dying for somebody to come in and and kind of churn the bottom of that receiver depth chart. They kind of did the same thing at tight end. They obviously didn't draft one, so they brought in uh, Nick Ralston out of ULL. They brought in Nick Eubanks out of Michigan, who's actually I I, I don't know why I watched him, because he was a super late-round prospect, but I actually did, and I, I kind of like his game a little bit. I do too. Um Artavius Artavius Lynn from across the way at TCU. So again, tight end. Obviously, you got Jarwin and Schultz, but behind that, you know, create some competition. So that was that was probably the big thing that stood out to me is just Again, trying to churn those, uh, trying to churn that depth chart, and maybe get rid of some more expensive guys in favor of some cheaper ones.
2: Brian, what? how likely is it for some of these guys, because of the 11 draft picks, because there's 13 different undrafted free agents, to try and make the roster? And I'll even throw Day 3 guys into that. That was one of the Twitter on the 20 questions that we didn't necessarily get to answer from Frankie. But who has the best chance out of the Day 3 in undrafted free agent class to try and at least make the roster, make the 53-man?
3: Yeah, I think to me when you start, Dave was mentioning all the wide receivers and stuff like that. I mean, what's going to happen, you know, with uh, with Michael Gallup and what's going to happen with Noah Brown and what's going to happen with Cedric Wilson and stuff like that? These are all things that you kind of have to think about, maybe big picture wise. So you always want to believe that those wide receivers have the opportunity to do that. uh, Something that I'm really – I hurt for the guys like Chris Hall who over there – you know, Chris is the coordinator of the college scouting stuff over there, and he does a super job with all that. And the coordination of Dallas Day, I was told this was going to be a historic Dallas Day if they could have had it. You know, with all the players from the area, it was going to be one for the ages. And, you know, that's the thing that when they do have that Dallas Day – and they 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 seem to find a one or two of those guys that you're like okay you know this this makes a lot of sense we get to see him we get to work him out we get to be a part of that and get to have some interaction with him so I'm interested to see how this class is gonna you know will somebody from this class in fact make the final 53 history will tell you there will be one of them but with the, with 11 picks and then you you look at like their They've got some young players in certain positions too that you feel like, well, will these guys beat out a, a first a second year player or a guy that was on the practice squad that they know. You know, that that's gonna be the real trick. It might be a little bit harder for somebody to make this roster, but history tells you there'll be one guy that probably will uh will survive training camp and and put a veteran guy on the street.
1: Dave is it- I'll throw this out there too. Oh, sorry, Kyle. You were you were already going to ask me a question. It's fine. <laughs> no, go for it. I just, uh, it it's not it's not super sexy, but they did sign you know they signed Brendan Knox, the running back out of Marshall, and they signed another running back. Uh, yeah, Jaquan Hardy out of Tiffin, which I don't even know where Tiffin is. I'm sorry. Um, but you know the obviously Zeke is Zeke is for sure, and Tony's for sure, but. The competition for that third running back spot is just a couple of other undrafted guys, Rico Dowdle and Shea Walanaluwa, which they both were. You know, they had nice rookie seasons, but you know, you better bring it in training camp mm-hmm. because these guys are just as hungry to make the team as you were last year. By the
2: way, Tiffin's out of Ohio, Dave. Just so you know, and they are there. The, we go. They are the there Tiffin Tiffin Dragons, and this guy had fifty. 50- 1,800 yards rushing on the ground last year and 204 attempts and 15 touchdowns. I mean, if you wanted to talk about a man amongst boys, that's what Jaquan Hardy brings to the table, and he opted out of the spring season, but he was the player of the year, first team all-conference, led the conference in rushing, I mean, yada, 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 all the way through for the Tiffin Dragons. So, hey, if you're going to get excited about a player, that's one that you possibly could. So, just based off of what you guys have been saying, it, it seems like the wide receiver position is the most vulnerable and it seems like whether it's semi-fajoko out of stanford or it's one of these undrafted free agent receivers that's the most vulnerable position in terms of some of these day three and and undrafted free agent guys to make the roster but dave is there another position that sticks out to you maybe outside of the maybe let's say on the defensive side of the ball for these day three guys and maybe even undrafted free agents
1: yeah, uh well, I mean we we talk about receiver every year just because it's the easiest it's and most to talk fun about. position to watch at training camp. Um how about I mean it's it's gonna be it's always gonna be the bottom of the depth chart, but geez, the bottom of the linebacker depth chart looks terrifying right now. Cause I mean, you know Leighton and Jalen are here. They just drafted Parsons, they just drafted Cox, so that's four right there. You typically only keep, like, six, maybe seven. Oh, don't forget Keanu Neal's a linebacker, so now you're up to five. Mm -hmm. So now you're talking of Well, I think of Basham more as a defensive end, like an edge rusher. I know he's technically a linebacker, but, like, I think of him more as an on-the-ball guy. But, like, Francis Francis Bernard, um, Luke Gifford are still here from last year. And now you got the two draft picks that are going to be competing for playing time, and then they signed two. I think they signed two more linebackers as well. Um, yeah, Anthony Hines out of Texas A and M, and Tyler Coyle, who's kind of a hybrid guy out of Purdue. So again, the important part of the depth chart is set, but that last spot or two is going to have about four or five guys fighting for it. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen at
3: defensive end. You know, is this, I mean, this is the first time that you've had Randy Gregory for a full OTA minicamp and then training camp without something happening to him. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how that all, you know, Dorrance Armstrong, where is he at in his development right now? You know, or is somebody going to put him on the street? Is somebody yeah. going to develop and they're going to say, well, hey, you know, Dorrance, it's nice knowing you, but, you know, you've been here. Uh, you know, since 2018, you're a fourth round pick. You know, we got this guy that we like a little bit better. You know, I think it's safety position is going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. You know, they're they're talking about moving our South Carolina guy. Dave, you figured out his name, how to pronounce his last name? Israel's last name?
1: Mukwamu. At- Mukwamu.
3: Mukwamu? Mukwamu.
1: Oh no, there's there's no M-Kwamu. B in there, my guy. Mukwa. Mukwamu. Yeah. Mu, there we go. Muquamu, there you go. Israel,
3: <laughs> they're talking about they're talking about playing him at safety. So you yeah. know what's gonna ha- what's gonna happen there at that position. So uh, you know there's a, all these when you when you draft eleven players and the owner, general manager, son of all that says, hey, all eleven can maybe make this thing. You know we we everybody's like, oh, there's no way they're gonna make all these picks. And then what they do, they made they all made these. Made all picks, of them. So yeah. And, yeah, keep an eye on this. Let's see who, in fact, gets to stick. Maybe all 11 do, and then that's going to push some of those guys off this roster
2: for sure.
1: One one more that I'll throw in. I know we're running out of time, but all like... We're not. We've
2: got like eight I wonder, minutes
1: left. Oh, I forgot. I forgot because yeah. we got a late start. No, you're good. I wonder, does another team in the league have as much starting experience at offensive tackle as the Cowboys do? And you can... You can talk trash about Terrence Steele and Brandon Knight all you want, and maybe Brandon Knight will move to guard, mm-hmm. but those guys got a full season of experience last year, which makes them a hell of a lot more experienced than your average third and fourth tackle. You signed Ty Insecki, who has started, I think, 17 or 18 career games. He's been, he's been playing pro football for 11 years, so he's experienced as hell. Uh, Mitch Hyatt's still kicking around. Isaac Alers- uh, Al- Al- Alerson is still here from go. the international program. And then obviously, you know, Josh Ball would have been drafted a lot higher if not for some nasty domestic violence allegations. So that's a lot of talent and a lot of starting experience. And I didn't even mention the two obvious starters, Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins. So that sounds uh, that sounds like a very interesting position battle when they finally start playing football again.
2: I like that as a potential of of maybe bringing in those guys, but you do feel good about at least the depth of that position better than you did a year ago, I think, in in that regard because you went and got a guy like Josh Ball who can come and play, but you do have the the starting caliber of all those guys on the offensive tackle slot, so maybe even Josh Ball isn't necessarily needed whenever it comes to that. But I think they did another good job of going out and getting some undrafted free agent guys. And like I said, there will be more direct and more detailed content on those guys guys over the next couple of days as everybody kind of catches up from the end of the draft so be sure to keep a lookout on that on DallasCowboys.com but as we wrap things up for not only the today's show but for the season of the draft show guys what, what are you going to remember the most about the 2021 draft and the draft process I mean because we've been doing this for 200 days now it seems like or close to 200 days of, of getting on top of things and talking about what this draft class was going to look like now that we know what it looks like Brian, what is going to be your biggest memory looking back?
3: You know, guys, the thing that I'll always remember about the draft, and not particularly just this draft, but just the draft show itself. uh, Yesterday afternoon, I got a tweet from a guy who says, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. And I watched the draft show. And I knew more about my draft because of what you guys did on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And You know, the draft show started with this whole thing with Ed Cahill and myself and then Dane and then Dave and you Kyle. We've added guys along the way. But that's what this show has always been about. It's always been about, we always talk about to investigate and educate. And the fact that people from other teams, fans from other teams, say, hey, I learned more about my team because of what you guys did that's, that's the best thing that I could ever take away from any draft that we have. And, you know, this one was unusual. It, it wasn't as crazy, I'd say, as last year where we really didn't know what was going on with the pandemic and where we were even going to play football. But now we're going to have fans in the stands and, you know, hopefully we'll have some OTAs and mini camps and stuff like that. But to me... Just the fact that that fans from all around the world were educated about players on their favorite teams—that means the absolute world to me. And for that, I thank the fans for following along and having such an interest in what we do. That—that's what makes this job so much
2: fun. Mm-hmm. Dave?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I, we talked about it already. From the from the Cowboys' perspective, I think I'm just going to remember it as maybe. Uh, I guess I guess risky is a fair word. I, I'll just like I said, boom or bust. I'll be interested to see are they gonna hit some gold here or you know, I, I think I think we, we have simultaneously the potential to be like, holy crap, what an amazing job they did And I think there's some potential to look back and be like, yeah, that's yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised some of this didn't work out. Um, but aside from the Cowboys, I said it on Saturday. Um, for me and I echo everything Brian just said, but Mm -hmm. I just love, you know, when you talk about, when you talk about these players for six months and then you watch where they all go, you just, it, it, you know, you know so much about the league because the draft is the lifeblood of the league and you know where all these guys are going. So when Tommy Togiai balls out for Cleveland, I'm not going to (laughs) be surprised. Or when Jalen... When Jalen Darden, you know, steals a starting job in Tampa a You're year right. from now, I'm gonna be like, Oh yeah, that's the that's the North Texas guy that we like so much. And like it, it happens year after year, and the more you do it, you just you have a working knowledge of every team in the league because you know who they drafted. And I think it, it makes you a better fan, it makes you a smarter fan. Uh, and it it honestly it makes the NFL so much more enjoyable because you have this depth of uh, familiarity with basically every player in the league once you've done it long enough. And that's what's so rewarding for me. And, uh, you know, obviously my focus is the Cowboys, but I would like to think we help make the entire league more enjoyable for other people. That's awesome from both of you. I mean,
2: Brian specifically talking about the fan from the Lions. I mean, I love that because we we do have a Cowboys spin on things because that's who pays the paychecks, but ultimately – that's what we want to do is we want to to Im- investigate, educate all those people that are listening, all those fans that are out there that want to know more and want to know about the league moving forward. So it has been a ton of fun, and, and that, that makes me happy hearing that even those who, who follow the Detroit Lions are, are locked in. And we knew that. We knew that there are more than just Cowboys fans that are in these chats and that are watching these on YouTube and watching these and listening on iTunes and all, all sorts of that. But there's also a lot behind the scenes that goes on. I mean, uh, for every hour, and I tweeted this out on Saturday as well, but for every hour of film that was watched by the analysts, the seven analysts on this show, there was an hour also put in cutting highlights, making graphics, and, and putting up some of the content and the production value that we've seen throughout not only the draft coverage this past weekend, but since December on the draft show, whenever we started talking about doing the show when the Cowboys were at three and nine, so it, it really has been a ton of fun. It's a blast to do it with you guys. I look forward to doing it again next year. And uh, let's say, like, let's say, let's not start it in December. Let's have a better season, and then let's talk about starting in maybe yeah. January or February. I'd be cool starting like the second week of February after the
1: Cowboys win a ring. That's fine with me. I mean that would be fun. I'd even settle for doing it like the week of the Senior Bowl. I mean, what? Like, yeah. Let's try to let's try to not start before Christmas next year if that's okay with the Cowboys.
2: Oh, that sounds good to me. But Brian, thank you so much for being a part of it again this year. We missed you last year, but hey, 2021 was just a blast having you a part of it, my guy.
3: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And again, thanks to everybody. Thanks to, to, to Chris Beam for all he's done, you know, and keeping us on the air, dealing with our technical problems. <laughs> uh, man, we've had a blast. And, and again, thank you for Derek Eagleton and the Jones family for having the vision to say, hey, this is something that we need to do. This is something for our fans. Uh, again, and I always say this, I thank you, Ed Cahill, for you too having that vision as well. It's been a blast to be a part of this.
2: No doubt about it. Salute Ed Cahill. Salute all those that were a part of the draft show. We will have one more show. These two will not be on it, but instead it'll be Dane Brugler, Jeff Cavanaugh, and Kevin KT Turner on Thursday, 10 a.m. Central Time. But for now, for Chris Beam in the back, Aaron Gonzalez, for David Hellman, Brian Broaddus, I'm Kyle Yeoman saying so long here on the draft show. We'll see you Thursday for one more show.